Welcome to another episode of the Balancing Hormones Naturally podcast, where we offer actions and steps you can take today to start balancing your hormones naturally. This is your podcast host, Leah Brueggemann. I am a functional diagnostic nutritional practitioner. I am honored and excited to be your guide on your journey to better understanding your hormonal health and how it affects your everyday life. let's talk about our period products because you need to be paying attention to this. You need to be making sure that they're organic and they are fragrance-free because what you put on your skin is absorbed into your body and you're wearing tampons or pads if either one of those are your choices and you're wearing them five to seven days every single one of your cycles for 24 hours that's an extremely long exposure we already know about fragrance artificial fragrance being an endocrine disruptor your hormones are these little chemical messengers they need to be able to talk to each other they need to be able to communicate and fragrance endocrine disruptors are getting in there and messing up that communication and then on top of that you need to make sure they're organic because you are literally putting that right next to your vagina which is very absorbable and you do not want something that has been sprayed with a ton of pesticides specifically glyphosate okay we do not want that okay we are trying to heal and balance our hormones so removing endocrine disruptors is a really big part of that this is why i choose garnu and i am so excited to partner with them garnu believes that women deserve more from their period products period care products should embrace women's innate femininity while empowering girls all over the world i literally could not be more proud to share them with you because i love partnering with small businesses because i I get to know the owner. I get to get into the nitty gritty of behind the scenes and ask all of the questions. And you know, I ask these questions, but it's also right on their website. So you can look at it as well, but they are 100% got certified and they don't use any chlorine, bleach, dyes. They don't use any fragrance. All of this is extremely important and you should be looking for these in your period care products. On top of that, you get this cute little tampon box delivered to your door versus realizing you are out and having to go to the store, which I know that's probably happened to you at some point and it is not fun. It has happened to me. This way you don't have to worry about it. On top of each subscription will support feminine hygiene training and female entrepreneurship to Nepali women and girls who are vulnerable to trafficking. Garnu is actually derived from the Nepali word for rescue, which is very, very cool. So you guys, this is such an amazing way to support the show. You get non-toxic tampons. They're a cute little box that's delivered to you and you get to support other uh, women at the same time. So it's wins all around. So I'm gonna give you the inside scoop really quick on how to get the best bang for your buck. You wanna set up a subscription because you get free shipping. So if you do four boxes every four months, you get free shipping and you want to stack that with the discount Leah, L-E-A-H. And this way you get 15% off and you get free shipping. So literally wins all around. You guys, it's so simple to just do the four boxes every four months because it's the same amount. You're just saving money. So definitely do that. You just go to garnu.com. So G-A-R-N-U-U.com and use the code Leah. Hey ladies, welcome back to another episode of the Bouncing Hormones Naturally podcast. So I have a guest on for you from one of our 
favorite companies that we talk about all the time because we always talk about uh electrolytes and all of the support that your adrenals need with that so i brought on daryl bouchard who is part of the family business that started uh redmond's salt so he grew up in the family business and he has earned his bachelor of science degree at southern utah university and you went then and got your master's correct if i'm got my information straight so you have all the details so could you just share a little bit about growing up um, in that family business and why they started this in the first place? Yeah, Leah, thanks for having me on today. Super excited to be able to talk a little bit about salt. Yeah. So, sometimes people think salt is boring. And no. if you looked up uh, a commodity in the dictionary, it would tell you it's salt. Um, but salt is so much more important, especially when it comes to hormones and adrenals and just yeah. keeping us alive. So how I was introduced to the salt industry is my grandfather and his brother had a little farm in central Utah back in the 1950s. And in the 40s, my grandfather worked for a airplane company um, in California, a little company called McDonnell Douglas. And he started out as a riveter and then was a business manager there when World War II broke out. And his brother during World War II was working as a miner at a big copper mine here in Utah called Kennecott Copper Mine. And so after the war, the two brothers decided to come back to their their dad and their grandfather's farm to farm and to raise their families near each other. And so they started farming. And the farm in the 1950s, late 1950s, wasn't doing that well. There was a okay. big drought that year. And so they needed to do something to keep the, you know, the income coming in. And they knew there was salt north and south of their farm that the Native Americans had actually harvested a little bit long before the early settlers had come through the, the Utah valleys. And so they knew there was salt under their farm. And so because the, the farm wasn't doing that well, they got a loan and a bulldozer and some mining equipment and they bulldozed the barley and the alfalfa and the corn out of the way. Wow. And hit salt about 30 feet from the surface and initially started selling salt to local farmers because all animals need salt to live. Um, then started selling it to the state of Utah for the roads because salt will melt ice on roads in the wintertime. Mm -hmm. And then in the 1970s, as the health food movement started to take off is when we went into the food salt industry as well. So that's kind of the Reader's Digest version yeah. of how... I got into the salt business. Yeah. Well, we're happy you did. I actually just had uh, a friend over this morning who I had introduced to Redmond Salt. And she was like, yeah, we've been using that for a while. And I never, ever thought that salt could actually, like, you could have different tastes of salt. She was, but our food tastes so much better since we've switched. And I was like, I know. I'm telling you the truth. It's some good stuff. So let's just kind of dive right into the nitty gritty because I'm sure that everyone's probably heard sodium is so bad for you, like lower your sodium intake, um, all of those types of things. Could we talk about, you know, you know, should you eliminate sodium? Is salt good for you? I mean, they've heard a lot about it already, but let's hear it from a different source. You know, when you, if you, 
asked your audience to raise their hand if they heard that salt's bad for them. My guess is most people today would still raise their hand. Yes. Yet, yet if you walk into the hospital or get wheeled into the hospital, the first thing that's going to happen is they're going to give you an IV of saline solution, which is salt water. In fact, an IV of anything but 0.9% saline or a lactated ringer solution that has sodium, potassium, magnesium, calcium into an IV bag would actually be disastrous. If you got Mm -hmm. an IV of distilled water, your cells would start to rupture. If you got an IV of coffee, although that might sound good at (laughs) seven o'clock in the morning, is going to be equally problematic. Our, Our bodies our saline solution in motion. And in order of importance, we have oxygen and then we have water and then we have salt Mm. because obviously if the air was sucked out of the rooms that we're in, we would immediately start to have problems. Um, We can last quite a long time without food. Some of us could last longer than others. Um, But without water and then without salt, or having too much water without enough salt, yeah. our bodies would go into hyponatremia. And and that's why the standard IV in every hospital in the world is sodium chloride-based IV at 0.9%. Our tears are salt. Our sweat is salt. Our urine is salt. And, and our bodies are constantly, you can drink as much distilled water as you want to, but our bodies are still going to sweat and cry and urinate salt because salt keeps our cells alive. It keeps our bodies functioning. And without salt, everything dies, which is why salt at one point in our history was actually just as valuable as gold. And in the times of Rome, Roman soldiers were often paid a salary in salt And the term salary is based on salt because saline, salary, salt. There's a saying that our grandparents and parents used probably more than we do. The saying was, is a man worth his salt? Have you ever heard that before? Yes. That comes because if you're a Roman soldier and you're getting paid in salt and you're lazy and you're not (laughs) earning your keep, you aren't worth the salt that you're getting paid Ah. So you're not worth your salt. So every civilization has started around access to the salt deposits because it keeps all of our animals alive. It keeps us alive. Every every war up through you know the current wars were won and lost over who had access to the salt deposit. Because if you don't have a refrigerator or your refrigerated trucks or MREs, the only way you can keep your food from spoiling and your soldiers from cramping is by having access to good, clean water and good, clean salt. Before the refrigerator was invented, you and I and everybody listening today would have actually eaten more salt because if we were to eat any food outside of its season, we would have been eating sauerkraut, kimchi, jerkies, pickles, fermented veggies. And the way we preserve all of that up through the refrigerator and, you know, uh, yeah, the industrial revolution was through good, clean, natural salt products. So salt isn't this bad thing. There's a study I can send you a link to. It was done yeah. in 1954. And this one study in 1954 kind of turned everybody on its head. And this, this study fed copious amounts of salt 
to some mice and some rats, and they found that when they gave these mice little water and lots of salt, the mice had trouble because salt's job in the body is to regulate intercellular and extracellular fluid. It does that through the sodium potassium pump. And Mm -hmm. when you have too little water and too much of any electrolyte, things start to go out of balance. And so just like fat for a while went through this phase Mm -hmm. where everybody thought that all fat was bad, the same thing happened to salt. And now people know that avocados are great and fish oils and high fats, clean, natural, good fats are essential where there are bad fats out there and salt went through that same revolution. Oh, okay. This makes sense. Also, um, I may be jumping ahead of your story, but there's differences in salts too. Like when I don't think you should be loading up on that, um, bleached, you know, salt you get at the store and being like, no, this is good for me versus actual real salt. So what would be the difference there? Like if they weren't actually getting the salt that has minerals, it's just, you know, bleach. Great question. So if we went back in time before the invention of the refrigerator, like I mentioned, we would have likely all eaten more salt. But the salt that we ate back then and the salt that the Roman soldiers were paid in isn't Mm -hmm. the same as many of your salts that you find on the shelf today. And there's actually three questions that we'll talk a little bit later about. And these three questions will help you find a great clean salt. And you may end up with Redmond Real Salt, which I think that would be great. And I am biased. But it could equally be some other great salts from around the world. And we'll talk a little bit about those three questions later. But if we went back to the refrigerator, before the refrigerator, we'd have all eaten salt. But the salt we would have eaten back then, or the salt that the Roman soldiers were paid in, is very different from a lot of the salts that you find in the grocery store or even your health food store today. Mm -hmm. So if we look at salt, salt in nature, when... When we talk about salt in food, we're talking about sodium and chloride. Yeah. Now, in chemistry, salts can be any acid and a base that are bound together. So magnesium sulfate is an example of a salt or magnesium chloride. When we're talking salt for the human body, typically sodium and chloride-based salt is what we're talking about. And we find that in the ocean. So our ocean waters occur with all of these minerals besides sodium and chloride. Oceans Mm -hmm. have high in iodine, which is the reason why seafood and seaweed and doles is high in iodine is Mm -hmm. because it's in the oceans. And there's also potassium chloride, magnesium chloride, calcium chloride in the oceans. Historically, our ancestors would have gathered salt in one of two ways. The first is they would have watched the animals and the animals would find these ancient seabed sources of salt. So they will eat the soil, they will pot the soil, and they will find these ancient seabeds like the salt that comes out of Utah, this seabed, which is how the early settlers have found it. It's this crystalline structure salt that was laid down during the Jurassic era, geologists tell us. And there are similar deposits like this in Bolivia. There's a beautiful Bolivian pink salt. It occurs in Pakistan. The Himalayan pink salt out of Pakistan and India and Nepal are all, you know, these ancient crystal beds. And and they occur with the minerals that were in those pre-mortal seas. Yeah. The other way our ancestors would have gathered salt would have been living by the coast. 
and they would have taken, they would have gone into the ocean, filled buckets of salt water. Salt water in the ocean is about two to three percent sodium and chloride or salts. Our bodies are 0.9. And so the reason that swimming in the ocean burns our eyes yeah. is because it's two to three times more salty than we are. But we can take that seawater that has all of these minerals in it, and then we can evaporate the water off. Seawater can hold 26% by weight salt. And so as oh. the water comes in, it's 3%. We start to evaporate the water. It goes to 4 to 5 to 6. At 26%, that's max salinity. And so as you start evaporating more water, those salt crystals get heavy and fall out of suspension. So our ancestors, what they would have done is they would have taken a, a clay-lined pond. And they line the pond with clay because if it's sand, the water just seeps back into the earth. So if you line a pond with clay, it might be gray clay, like the coast of Brittany, France. So you get this French gray salt. That gray is coming because they pull the seawater into a clay-lined pond. As the seawater evaporates, all of the minerals that are in the seawater, as well as some of that gray clay that's in the clay-lined pond, will get raked up and you get these beautiful gray salt crystals. That's how our ancestors would have would have made salt. Now, around the turn of the century, salt companies realized that seawater not only has sodium chloride in it, yeah. but it also has potassium chloride, which is super valuable, magnesium yep. chloride, super valuable, calcium chloride, and then trace amounts of all these other elements. So the salt companies realized that they could use a series of evaporation ponds. Instead of having one pond, like the like our ancestors would have used through using a series of evaporation ponds, they could take out the potassium chloride, move it to the next pond, pull out the magnesium chloride, move it to the next pond, pull out the calcium chloride. And so you start to change the nature of salt. And then once you get it somewhat refined, then you can add a bunch of chemicals to it. So the, the challenge with salt is the the first challenge of salt is this demineralization. Yeah. Now, these aren't massive amounts, not dietary amounts, but every little bit helps. Yeah. You know, if, if we were to take an orange and somehow pull out the vitamin C from the orange and then still sell the orange as an orange, as orange farmers, we're geniuses. Uh, we, before the show started, we talked a little bit about raw milk and the, yeah. and the power of, of the good fats. And if we're a farmer and we can take off all of the cream and the fat and sell it and then still sell the leftover skim milk, that makes a lot of sense. And salt mm-hmm. companies can do essentially the same thing by pulling off the potassium that offsets the sodium and some of these other minerals. Yeah. That's the first challenge. The second challenge with processed salt is that salt is hygroscopic. Hygroscopic means sucks water out of the air. So if I have a salt crystal and I live in Florida on a really humid day, this crystal is going to absorb water out of the air. It's like a dehumidifier. Exactly. That's exactly Mm. right. Oh, okay. Um, and, And what happens is if you have your salt in a bag or a shaker... And it's yeah. dehumidifying the air. It's going to mm. get clumpy. Yeah, it's going to get. Yep. So you're going to have to, you know, kind of break it up with your hand. So 
around the turn of the century, salt companies realized, they said, what kind of chemicals can we coat this crystal with? What could we coat that crystal with to stop its ability to interact with moisture? Mm-hmm. The challenge is salt's job in the body is to interact with moisture. Yeah. And so if you take a salt crystal and now you coat it with a chemical, some of the chemicals they use would be sodium ferrocyanide, sodium, not bad, Mm -hmm. uh, ferrous, metal or iron, and cyanide is poison. Um, (laughs) And and another one is sodium silicoaluminate, which is kind of a similar anti-moisture, anti-perspirant type additive. Um, and there's other ones that aren't near as bad as those. Um, there's one that's called tricalcium phosphate, propylene glycol 400. There's a whole list of chemicals that salt companies will add to salt to stop its ability to draw moisture in. Mm-hmm. And then we wonder how salt got this bad rap. Well, we've taken salt that our, that our ancestors loved. Every religious book talks about the importance of salt. Every civilization talks about the importance of salt. Mm -hmm. And yet we take salt, we demineralize it, we add chemicals to it. And then we put high amounts of that on foods that we should never eat in the first place. (laughs) And then we wonder why we feel yucky when we eat a whole bag of potato chips with processed salt or a whole container of, of fries with all of this processed salt and these trans fats where if you look at, you know, good fat and good salt, it is completely different. Yeah. I think that also it it goes back to the same premise of, um, I know everyone likes to think that all calories are created equal, but they aren't because of how your body uses them and pulls minerals. So, I learned a lot of science there and I'm sure everybody else did, but that really broke that down about the water moisture, because even um, something we talk about a lot here is running hair mineral analysis. So you can actually see what your mineral content is and help your body adjust. And one thing that I'm always recommending that is generally good for everybody is whole real salt because it does contain those other minerals. It's not like you are just getting sodium in from that. So that was really awesome. And I, I'm sure that everyone appreciated the breakdown. So that kind of, no, go ahead. I was going to say, when we're talking all these minerals, now's a good time to talk about probably all of the minerals. And if you go to our website, you can see a list of all of the elements that are found in salt. Now, when we're looking at an elemental analysis, it's important to realize we're not looking for particular compounds or, Mm -hmm. or or, or element combinations. What we're looking for is the presence of each element. So you'll mm-hmm. see chlorine or chloride mm-hmm. listed on the elemental analysis. Now, yeah. all of us mm-hmm. know that chlorine is a deadly gas Yeah. that if we were exposed to, we would die, um, which is mm-hmm. why it's highly regulated. If you have a hot tub or a, or a swimming pool or, mm-hmm. you know, chemical warfare is often used chlorine gas. Yeah. Um, chlorine gas is very acidic and it's deadly. And you'll see sodium. Sodium, if it occurred as pure sodium, it would be super explosive and a very strong base. In fact, if this if this jar of relight here was mm-hmm. a block of sodium and one drop of water fell out of the ceiling and hit it, I would be gone. It's, mm-hmm. it's that reactive. But yet you take one chlorine 
and mm-hmm. one sodium, both deadly gas, deadly acid and base, you put them together and all of a sudden sodium and chloride is nothing like sodium as in its mm-hmm. pure form or chloride or chlorine gas. Mm-hmm. So on this elemental assay, we're looking for the presence of the element, not mm-hmm. in the combination they form in. Yeah. And because this is a natural product and it it's from mm-hmm. the earth, you will see about 60 elements that regularly show up in that test. Now, sometimes because we're testing in such small amounts, an element might show up in a test and then it disappears on the next one. And mm-hmm. so the reason we say about or around is because on any given sensitivity, mm-hmm. sometimes different elements in trace amounts will show up and some don't. So one of the questions we get is, hey, what about heavy metals? Yep. You know, we know that heavy metals aren't good for us. You know, mm-hmm. every all of our plants, all of our water supplies, because we live on the planet Earth, we will see these trace earth minerals that show up. And we do need to do our best to avoid heavy metal toxicity. But occasionally right. you will see a trace amount of, say, lead show up mm-hmm. in an elemental analysis in a super small amount. It's mm-hmm. way less than is ever considered a problematic amount. Our bodies mm-hmm. naturally process some you know, lead and heavy metals every day because we're yeah. eating kale chips and we're eating you know, sunflower mm-hmm. seeds and we're eating everything yep. else that comes from the earth. Um, and so sometimes people will get concerned, Hey, this is from the earth and it's not been purified. Is that a problem? In our opinion? No, because mm-hmm. the amounts are so trace, but yes, you will occasionally mm-hmm. see some trace amounts of different earth minerals showing up mm-hmm. in this analysis. Yeah. And I think well, we can jump into that a little bit more. I think also learning to do your, your due diligence and depending on the product. So like something when we talk about lead, for example, um, is in pea protein. And that's something where I personally am more concerned about the lead content because it's not like eating peas. I don't really care. You know, we're just eating it straight from your garden or, you know, the farmer's market. But when it's so concentrated in, you have to get so many peas to make the amount of protein that you're taking in a powder, that's very, very different than you're taking the salt. That's literally, that's just how it comes mined from the earth. So I do think that that is something to also keep in mind when you are looking at these charts and understanding, you know, how they, how they come together. Um, And I was looking on your website, you guys, you can literally just go and see your latest report you know, if anybody is interested. And one of the things interesting about um, elemental analyses, unless you're a chemist, you'll see, you'll hear and see things like parts per million or parts per billion. That alone is, makes no sense unless you convert that into micrograms per serving. Mm -hmm. Because if you were to say, take water and Mm -hmm. the the health standard is 15 parts per billion, Mm -hmm. you know, if a healthy person is drinking half their body weight in ounces, you know, me is 150 pounds, I'm going to be drinking 75 ounces of water a day at 15 parts per billion is a lot more actually than if I were to eat, you know, six grams of salt a day at a different uh, 200 parts per billion because mm-hmm. of the weight and the volume. So you actually have to take anything you're eating, like in the example you mentioned, you know, taking yeah. your pea protein. And if it says 15 parts per billion or whatever yeah. that number is, convert that into the weight amount of pea protein you're consuming. Mm-hmm. And that would convert to a micrograms per serving, which is actually mm-hmm. way more meaningful 
than yeah. a part per million or part per billion. Yeah. And then it starts getting really confusing <laughs> if you aren't a chemist, <laughs> um, which is tricky, which that's why I really do. I do appreciate, and we talk about this a lot, the transparency of companies, you know, because as somebody who isn't a chemist, there is only, I feel like so many of these elements that we can cram into our heads and be like, how does this make sense? And you kind of lost me on the math equation. (laughs) So at some point, it's very important to align yourself with ethical companies and companies that are, um, being very transparent and explaining this to you um, and and just showing you what it is instead of just, you know, trying to pull the wool over your eyes and be like, no, it doesn't matter. And and one more one more question before we move on with understanding yeah. parts per million or parts per billion. Sometimes when I explain it, people envision you have a, a million parts and you're sorting through and this part's lead and this part's, you know, chloride and this part's yeah. aluminum and this part's, that's not what you're actually doing. Parts per million is actually milligrams per kilogram. And mm-hmm. so if you had, and it's based on atomic weight. So okay. if you have one chloride and one yep. sodium that are bound together, you would think, oh, I've got two parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you'd say I have, you know, 500,000 parts of this and 500,000 mm-hmm. parts of this. That's not what we're doing. In chemistry, when we say parts per million, what we're doing is looking at the atomic mass. And so if you look at a chloride molecule, Mm -hmm. it's actually about 20% bigger than the sodium molecule. Yeah. And so when you look at parts per million, if you have one sodium and chloride, the parts per million is actually as a percentage, 60% chloride and 40% sodium. So converted to parts per million, you'd have 600,000 parts of chloride, 400,000 parts of sodium on your Mm -hmm. analyses. And so again, it's just, unless you're, you know, interested in chemistry, sometimes these parts per million, they seem important, but unless you convert it to a microgram per serving, it means nothing. Yeah. And I am not interested in chemistry. (laughs) We'll move on. (laughs) No, but like that makes sense in my mind. And that's why when we try, when I try and figure that out, it's like my brain hurts, you know, five minutes in, Um, which is why I asked you that question. So you guys have Redmond's real salt and it's a mixture, right, of different like the black and the pink, um, I mean, mine is multicolored. So what's the difference between all these salts? Yeah. So ours is, if you looked at a a salt crystal or you look at the salt in a shaker, it kind of has a a rose quartz color Mm -hmm. to it. It's kind of a pinkish with flecks. In salt, this ancient seabed, I wasn't alive back then, but geologists tell us that this seabed occurred in the Jurassic era. This would be late Jurassic, which would be 150 to 250 million years old. Um, And this seabed flooded in from the Arctic Ocean and left all of this natural salt in the central part of Utah, Colorado, Montana, and the west. The west, the Rocky Mountain region, used to be at sea level. It's now Mm -hmm. been pushed up. And so all of the colors that you see are the elements that were trapped in this ancient inland seabed. And that's where Mm -hmm. the color comes from in the Himalayan pink salt or the Bolivian pink salt or the real salt from Utah that has the pink color to it. Now, you also have other colors of salt. I mentioned the French gray. 
Mm -hmm. So if you're getting gray salts, uh, one of my favorite brands of gray salt is Celtic. The yep. owner is named Selena DeLang. She's a very nice woman. I've met her many times. Um, if I didn't have our salt, I think that's a great salt to choose from. Um, and the way that salt is produced is they take the ocean water, which some people are concerned with because we humans haven't been the best stewards of this planet we live on. And mm -hmm. our oceans, unfortunately, aren't what they were eons ago. But you take this seawater into a clay-lined pond. If that pond is gray clay, you get gray salt. Yeah. If you go to Hawaii, they do the same process with the red clay. And so it becomes this Hawaiian red salt. Has a oh, very, very dusty, cool. unique color. If you mix activated charcoal into that pond, you'll get black salt, which okay. can look really unique on a white piece of white chocolate. Or if mm. you're doing a some oysters, uh, that black salt can have a nice yeah. color to it. Um, there's another beautiful salt from Australia called Murray River. The Murray River has a brine shrimp that creates an algae. If you've ever flown over the San Francisco Bay or the Great Salt Lake here in Utah, you'll see different colors of evaporation ponds where they're processing salt. And at a certain brine concentration, you get these brine shrimp that produce an algae that makes the pond red. There's a oh, river cool. in um, Australia that has this this reddish pinkish hue to it from the algae. And so the salt from that river has a pink, uh, pinkish hue to it. Okay. Um, so you, just went over many colors and many options. So from hearing that, how do our listeners know, like, how do I find a natural salt? Like what are, what questions do I ask? That, that was teed up beautifully. Ah, thanks. <laughs> Um, I think there's three questions, and I think these three questions will help you find a great salt product, and it might be okay. ours, it might be somebody else's, but it will also help you find a good, clean, raw milk. Uh, it will help you find mm. a great source of kimchi or whatever it is you like to eat. And so the yeah. first question is, who is producing it? Yeah. Um, today, Especially with salt, you might walk into a big box store and you see a jar that says salt on the counter. And it might be, mm -hmm. it might look natural. It might have colors in it. It might, but knowing where that salt came from actually, you know, is very difficult unless you know who is producing it. And yeah. so I love farmer's markets because you can go down to the farmer's market. And oftentimes, <laughs> some farmer's markets, like the one here locally, sometimes people buy stuff at the store and then resell it at the farmer's market. Oh, <laughs> So you got to ask a few questions. Yeah. Um, but at a true farmer's market, you can talk to the lady who, whose chickens are producing these eggs. And you can talk yeah. to the farmer who raised the, the raw milk. Um, and mm -hmm. so I think knowing who's producing a product today is really yes. important. But it's mm -hmm. often difficult if we're shopping in big box stores or even yes. online sometimes. So if you know who's producing it. You can ask the second question is what's the source? Because increasingly we have farms that have been highly demineralized because with the absence of crop rotation or they're using all kinds of uh, Roundup ready seeds and then yeah. they're spraying Roundup, which we know is a problem on our corn or the wheat or the oats or the barley. Um, 
And so knowing the source and within salt, that's really important because we want to know, is it coming from the Himalayan deposit, the Bolivian deposit, the Utah deposit? Is it coming Mm -hmm. from the Gulf of Mexico during the BP disaster? Is it coming from Exxon Valdez? Is it coming from the Sea of Japan? And, And so... I think knowing with salt, knowing the source is is really important as we yeah. have some of these environmental challenges. And mm-hmm. with salt particularly, that's difficult because a lot of salt is commingled. And mm-hmm. so you might get salt from a dozen or two dozen different suppliers in the Himalayan Pakistan region. You don't know how it's produced, where it comes from. It's all dumped into a shipping container, brought over and then repackaged into you know, different big box store label products that you yeah. don't really know where it's coming from on a, on any given day. And, and then the last is what's the process? Are mm-hmm. they taking anything out? Are they putting anything in? And so if you go and you talk to your local farmer to get some raw milk, you know, are they, are they pulling off the fat before you get it? Are mm-hmm. there other hormones or preservatives added that mm-hmm. that you may not want? Um, and I think if you can ask those questions, who is producing it? What's yeah. the source? And what are they doing to it? I think those three questions, whether you're buying kimchi, whether you're buying eggs, whether you're buying salt, or even mm-hmm. the clothes we're wearing, I think yeah. those questions will let us be better consumers and lets mm-hmm. us vote for the world that we want to be a part of. Yeah, I, I agree. You can use those questions everywhere. Um, I tell all of my clients, like, that's what you need to do, especially when it comes to supplements too. Like, who's the company? Where are they getting it from? You know, do they care enough to test for you? You know, like, is your company, you know, looking out for you or are they just trying to mass produce something, which... Um, can get really tricky. So, and it would are there in the yeah, go hormone industry? It would seem to me in the hormone industry, you've got to be even be even extra careful. You know, something's probably not a big deal where I get my shirt from in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. When I'm working on my hormone levels, that's a lot more. Um, the cost of failure is a lot higher than if I buy the wrong shirt. Yeah, it's it's true, and also. And salt, like we talked about, has all of these components, you know, in it. And I think we forget when we do supplements, for example, it's a very concentrated dose of something. And like we talked about with the protein powder or things like that. And so um, when you are dealing with these things that do come from the ground, like magnesium, but when you start upping that dosage, it, it really does matter, does that company test for you, you know, because your supplements, I mean, it's concentrated. So, you know, that always is something that you should be a very informed consumer, um, get to know the brands behind what you're using, uh, which I think is really, really important. So I feel like the answer is just going to be no, but are there salt substitutes? Like, does, does anything take the place of salt? You know, the interesting thing with salt substitutes, they were really big um, in the last 10 or 15 years, but their use is starting to die down. Because people heard that salt was bad for them, they thought, well, I want my food to taste good, and so I need to eat something else instead. What's interesting, if you go to the grocery store, I don't have one with me here, but if you go to a grocery store and buy a salt substitute brand, you might see low salt, new salt, half salt, um, light salt. 
and you look at the label, all salt substitutes will have a label that says, warning for normal, healthy people, do not use. If you have any heart, kidney disorders, and contact, contact your general practitioner before use. <laughs> Pretty scary stuff. And you wouldn't see that on any salt product. Yeah. Like real salt, like a, a natural salt or even a processed salt. But these salt substitutes have so many chemicals in them. And Goodness. they're usually high in refined potassium chloride, which our bodies do need levels of potassium. But high levels of potassium chloride actually is very problematic. In fact, in a hospital, if you got an IV of potassium chloride, unless you were maybe suffering from an aneurysm or something very unique, a, a potassium chloride IV will stop your heart. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why you get a sodium and chloride IV. In fact, potassium chloride IVs are used as the third injection in a series of lethal injections um, because that's actually what will stop the heart is a potassium chloride IV. But because of that, these salt substitutes that are designed with high levels of potassium chloride have to have a warning on them. And so I just say... This, this one study that said salt was bad is why we have these salt substitutes. That yeah. salt study has now been debunked, and mm -hmm. everybody knows that good salt is important on good yeah. foods. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, just avoid the, the, that low salt yeah. completely. Which – so I just want to take a slight tangent back to the different types of salt because you were talking about, you know, a lot of it's on foods that you shouldn't be eating in the first place. And that starts to actually just get really tricky because, for example, let's say someone was going to buy potato chips and there are some brands out there that have they're, – they're trying to do a lot better job, right? And they will tell you the ingredients are – potatoes, avocado oil, and sea salt or um, salt, whatever. But then that also begs the question, you don't know where, where, what kind of salt are they using, you know? And it's just, it's hard. It, it can get overwhelming, I think, very easily, um, which is why, you know, majority of your food, if you're making it, you know, yourself and you know where it's coming from here and there isn't going to be the end of the world. And I love that example, Leah, because if somebody's eating out of processed foods, they're eating on the road a lot, they're eating out of cans and boxes and bags, they probably, not even probably, they have way more salt in their diet than they need because mm -hmm. people are using processed crappy salt to make this crappy food last longer than it should. Yeah. So if you are switching over to a natural diet and you're making foods at home and you're eating clean, you're going to have to go out of your way to add good, clean, natural salts to your diet. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what we're talking about here. You know, if somebody's on kidney failure, ignore yeah. everything I've said today, because your kidneys, if they're healthy, can process about four ounces of salt a day if the, if the kidneys are healthy. Wow. Now, nobody would eat that much, but no. the kidneys have this amazing ability to process sodium, which is why in the hospital, you can go through bags of saline, which has way more than your recommended daily allowance of sodium mm -hmm. and be super healthy because your body can process it when it's in the right form. But yeah. when you're eating out of bags and out of processed foods and you're eating, you know, and I love your question before because all of us have our little guilty pleasures. And yeah. so if I'm going to eat potato chips, I, there's a brand called Boulder Chips. Yep, that's what um, I was thinking of. 
and I like Boulder chips. I still probably shouldn't eat 10 bags of them. Um, <laughs> but I trust the company and I think they're sourcing because I trust them. I trust they're going to source the great ingredients, even though yeah. I probably shouldn't eat 10 bags a day. Um, the bags that I do choose to consume are, are going to be a lot better than maybe the, the big brands that, you know, maybe yeah. care a little bit less about what they're putting in. Yeah. And again, we just, we're just going to keep recirculating this, like know who you're buying from, know your brands, get to know the company. Um, I like to stalk them all on social media for a while, like see what they're posting, like see what they stand behind. Um, okay. I want to quickly touch on two things. I want to touch on adrenals and I want to touch on iodine. And then we've been talking for forever. So I guess I need to move my questions up. So, um, iodine in salt is it good for us like what about um a lot of times i'll have people be like well if i switch over my salt i'm not getting the iodinized salt so isn't that bad should i go get the iodinized salt can we talk about it iodine and salt have been linked since world war one and no discussion on salt would be complete without talking about iodine and During the draft, after the draft was instituted, they noticed that men out of the Midwest had a high incident of goiter. This was particularly a problem in the Midwest. Again, thinking about that time of year, you know, early 1900s, we're eating a lot of processed flour, processed sugar, white mm-hmm. refined foods. And in the Midwest, very little seafood, yeah. no seaweed, no fish. And so that's yeah. why there was this goiter problem, which is a swelling of the thyroid because of the iodine deficiency. And so the government sat down with scientists and said, what are we going to do to stop this problem? We can't draft men into the military if they have a goiter. How do we stop this? And so they looked for ways to force iodine consumption onto the U.S. population. Just like in some municipalities, they do that with fluoride to push fluoride consumption. They said, how do we do this with iodine? They looked at adding it to flour like they do bromide with bromided bread as a uh, dough enhancer. They looked at adding it in water. It turns the water purple. You can't do that. And so, (laughs) and it tastes funny. And so they said, what can we do? And they came up with salt. And so they found that they could add iodine to salt. It was shelf stable for the most part. It wasn't completely off-putting. And so the government said from this day forward, if a salt company does not add iodine to their salt at this level, 45% per quarter teaspoon, that salt company must put a warning that says this salt does not supply iodide, a necessary nutrient. That's yep. why it is on the labels because of that World War One creation of that law. Now, as you know, especially in women's health, iodine is super, super important. It wasn't just these men having goiter problems. Um, Women's reproductive system, hormone levels, as well as men, if they they do studies and look at biopsies of tumors, they find that Mm -hmm. tumors, both malignant and benign in men and women, have virtually a trace amount of the iodine that should be present in normal healthy tissue. It is Mm -hmm. a huge problem. And when they added iodine to salt, it did actually solve the iodine problem. Now, Mm -hmm. the iodine added is less than 10% bioavailable compared to something like fish or dulse or seaweed or iodrol or some of these iodine supplements that are designed for bioavailability. But even Mm -hmm. 10% of something is better than 0% of nothing. And so if the only source somebody had to get iodine was salt, 
they're probably better off doing that than anything else. Fortunately for us, we've got a lot of great food sources that are rich in iodine. We have mm-hmm. delts and kelp and yeah. lots of the seaweeds. We have fish. We have some raw milk products that have good levels of iodine in them. And we have mm-hmm. iodine supplements that are way more bioavailable yeah. than a processed salt is. So the short answer is all of us should be seeking out foods rich in iodine, getting mm-hmm. our blood work done, testing to see mm-hmm. where our iodine levels are, and then seeking out either foods or great supplements that are designed Mm -hmm. for iodine absorption, which iodized processed salt isn't. Yeah. No, I think that's a very good point. And I find iodine to be very, very useful in terms of especially women with fibroids and um, thyroid issues and even fertility, Um, which I think it's an interesting connection with the salt because before you even supplement with iodine, you have to have all your cofactors to absorb it. And one of the things that we like to do is salt flushing and making sure sodium's at the correct level because it helps those receptors for the iodine. So I think it's kind of weird that they did put it with salt. It's like maybe intention was good, but execution needed a little bit of work. (laughs) They should have talked to you first. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Um, So how much salt, like real salt, natural salt, should you get in per day? Like, is there a rough amount with how much water you're drinking? I don't know. Can you tell us that? Yeah. So everybody's different. Um, and, and even if, even if in a, in a hospital setting, um, people process minerals and electrolytes and hormone levels differently. And so yeah. it's really a little bit specific per person. I personally, I love mountain biking. And if I am mountain biking a lot in a given week, I am going to be drinking and eating a lot more salt than if I am just sitting at my desk all day long or standing at my desk all day long. And if I'm a firefighter and I'm packing all that heavy gear and I'm sweating, I'm going to be burning through electrolytes more than maybe somebody that's a school teacher like my wife is. Mm -hmm. And somebody that's a hot yoga instructor is going to be burning Mm -hmm. through a lot more liquid and a lot more sodium and minerals than somebody who is different. So the general rule though, Mm -hmm. if you go back to this book called, um, you're not sick, you're thirsty. It was written by a guy named Dr. Batman Gelly. And he wrote another book, Your Body's Many Cries for Water. And in his book, he talks how most of us are dehydrated and most of us should be drinking a lot more than we do. So he says, Mm -hmm. as a a general rule, a place to start would be about half your body weight in ounces. Um, Of course, that's going to be different for everybody, but that's kind of maybe a starting point that he would recommend. And then he recommends adding a quarter teaspoon of salt to your diet per quart of water that you're drinking. And so as a minimum, if I'm drinking three quarts a day, which is about where I would be, I'm about 150 Mm -hmm. pounds, 75 ounces of water. That's going to be, you know, almost three quarts. I should be adding at least three quarters of a teaspoon of salt into my diet. And then Mm -hmm. also salting our food liberally, because when we have salt with our greens, particularly, we actually digest the food better because salt, Mm -hmm. our, our bodies actually create hydrochloric acid using the hydrogen from water and the chloride from salt, HCl, Mm -hmm. hydrochloric acid. And so if we go on a low salt diet, our bodies don't have the tools to really function. And if we're not drinking enough water and we're not drinking enough Mm -hmm. salt, you know, it's going to, things start to go bad in a hurry. 
Yeah, yeah. And so if you guys are thinking back to, again, the hair mineral analysis where we talk about um, one of the symptoms of low sodium is low stomach acid, you know, so you are not pulling those nutrients. And it's just so funny because drinking water, you know, hydration seems like such a foundational thing. And we all know it's a foundational thing. But I can promise you that every single client that comes in, they will just readily admit, I don't drink enough water. It's like, we know, we know it's our kryptonite. We know we feel better. We know we have more energy, but we just are like, no, I just don't want to do that. Um, oh, and even so, yeah. worse, we, we feel bad. And so we get home at five o'clock and we're thinking, oh man, I didn't drink enough today. So then we'll yeah. drink it all in the next hour, which we doesn't really help the body. <laughs> we pee all night and our bodies really, you know, food is actually you know, intermittent fasting, there's some really great benefits on feeling hungry sometimes during the day. Mm -hmm. When you're feeling thirsty, there's not a whole lot of benefit of not drinking water because yeah. almost every function that we need, our, our brains need so much yeah. water to feel good. So the first sign of a headache, actually a yeah. big glass of water and a pinch of salt under your tongue works most of the time because we're not... Very cool we're not uh, typically deficient in ibuprofen. <laughs> we're deficient in yeah. water and salt um, or these other nutrients that our, our bodies have, have evolved and progressed to need. Yeah. And we're also probably overdoing the caffeine, which is dehydrating as well. And um, really briefly, your so your adrenals need salt, right? You know, they're sodium, I like to think about, um, and I am not the salt educated here, but I like to think about sodium as like your battery, like it's your electrical conductor in your body. And you need that for, you need that as one of the minerals that your adrenals uses. Um, it's regulated by your adrenals. So um, if we were just thinking about, for example, the relight, that's the one I use all the time. We use all of the salts everywhere, the, the seasons, the regular salt, the relight. If someone was using the salt on their food, how many servings of like relight would they have to be taking? Um, just because I, though people should, I'm not sure everyone's going around measuring with their teaspoon. Um, how much should you get in per day? Just let's say like average human, um, average Average job maybe like works out three to four times a week, and so they're sweating a little bit. So I I think as, as a general start, you know, I'm not practicing medicine. I'm not giving medical advice. I yes. think generally salting your food liberally and one scoop of Relight a day would be a great place to start. Mm -hmm. um, and that'll give you a nice little basis. Before or years ago, I would tell people, Instead of going to get the expensive electrolyte drink from the store with the hot pink food coloring and all of the sugars, make your own with a quart of water and a quarter teaspoon of real salt, a squeeze of lemon, a little bit of honey. And it's it's still pennies on the dollar, a great sports drink. Yeah. The nice thing about the relight that you mentioned is we add additional calcium, potassium, magnesium, yeah. because a lot of us are not eating enough, especially green green veggies and mm -hmm. some of this raw, you know, organ meat or, you know, raw milk that are high in some of these mm -hmm. other nutrients. And so elect the electrolyte drinks, and there's a lot of different brands. And I think those three yep. questions we covered are a good place to start. 
Yeah. Um, relight though is a good a good base to start, and it will give you the sodium. It also brings in some calcium, potassium, some magnesium mm-hmm. to offset those other electrolytes. Mm-hmm. And you were absolutely right with your battery analogy, because the only difference in us being alive one minute and then being dead on the ground the next minute, outside of a spiritual discussion, the only difference is the absence of an electric current. And my yeah. hand moves because an electric impulse fires from my brain yeah. down to my hand. And sodium and sodium chloride is a great conductor. Distilled water does not conduct electricity. And mm-hmm. so that's why the body will start to shut down or the battery in analogy starts mm-hmm. to shut down when we don't have those electrolytes which yeah. the term electrolyte is because it's electrical and and mm-hmm. benefits that electrical system that keeps our bodies alive. Yeah. Salt is so important. Um, I'm sure at this point, everyone's just going to go buy salt. <laughs> They're like, okay, I'm convinced. Um, so go ask your three questions. Go ask your three questions. But we will, of course... Um, link Redmond's in the show notes if you guys want to use that with the discount code. Um, But I'm not done. I got more questions. So besides salt, uh, what other products does Redmond have? Because I kind of I kind of snuck that whole like seasoning and relight in there. We really, really like all of those seasonings. I don't know. I don't know. What is the the name of the one that comes in the bulk? Because I finally bought it in bulk because I'm like, we put this on our meat and our potatoes and our fish and it just goes on everything. Um, but yeah. So, so salt is, is fun because it's a base of many things. So we take salt, yeah. we add a little bit of freeze dried organic garlic and we have garlic salt, which is great on potatoes yeah. and fish and veggies. We take some freeze dried organic onion, mix it with a little bit of salt and we have freeze dried organic onion salt. The seasoning yeah. blend, I agree, it's amazing on anything, whether yeah. it's asparagus or fish or whatever. Um, and it's just a blend, like a seasonal. Um, yeah. Salt, because it's hygroscopic, it also absorbs moisture and it absorbs mm-hmm. smells. So we do a smoked salt. If any of your listeners like oh, that smoky so flavor, good. we take the salt crystals. We don't use a chemical version of smoke, which some companies do. It's actually, we smoke the actual salt. Um, and it has a very you know smoky flavor for veggies or for meats as well. And then we do the relight. Um, you mentioned mm-hmm. caffeine. The The basic mm-hmm. relight is just an electrolyte replacer like you'd find, you know, in some of these processed sports drinks without all the garbage in it. We yep. also do one that has some ca- some natural caffeine added. So yep. uh, as a way for a kind of an energy boost in the day. You know, when you're sick, if you're fevering, you're sweating a lot and you might mm-hmm. be losing fluids um, one end or the other or both. And so we actually have an electrolyte, we call it immunity, and it has Mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, some of those, you know, known herbs and vitamins that are really good for an immune system, plus the electrolytes. So we have that version. Um, We also have some body care products. So right next to this clay deposit or this salt deposit, we have a natural bentonite clay that we Mm -hmm. use as a base in some toothpaste and some facial products. So kind of a fun Earth, earthy based company. Yeah. One of our taglines is uh, we believe nature has it right with products. We try to leave them yep. as simple and as clean and as real mm-hmm. as nature created them. Yeah, which we appreciate. I, so I use Relight 
every single day. And I, I up my scoop, but I'm breastfeeding right now. So I also am burning through a lot and have to drink a little bit more water there. Um, and so I really, really appreciate those. Do you have a particular favorite flavor? So it depends on if I'm drinking it on my bike or if I'm actually okay. using it as a snack. So when I'm on my bike, I really like the um, lemon lime. That's just my go-to. <gasps> just when I'm tried biking. it today. Um, when one of my favorite snacks at night is to cut up an apple, I'll slice an apple and then I'll dip it in the watermelon, uh, strawberry, actually the strawberry lemonade. Um, and I'll just take the apples and what? dip it in almost like, you know, the old fun dip. Um, and I, it is the yes. best snack, um, when I'm, you know, playing some computer games with my brothers or I'm just enjoying a book, I'll slice an apple and dip it in strawberry lemonade relight. And it's uh, my favorite treat. You have opened up my world. I never <laughs> thought about that. Like when I use, I'll do dates with like grass fed butter and I'll sprinkle some of the salt on there. But now I'm kind of like, what else can I do with the electrolytes? Wow. Okay. And that's so cool. Circling back around to your other question. I think as we listen to our bodies, you know, we're really good at listening to when we're thirsty probably mm -hmm. hours later, but we know what thirst tastes like. You know, sometimes yeah. we think we're craving a bag of potato chips where really what we might be craving is good, clean fat, which an avocado might fill that craving. Mm -hmm. um, and salt's the same way as if you put a, a jar of salt on your counter and yeah. you walk past and you put a little piece of salt in your mouth, mm -hmm. it'll taste, oftentimes it'll taste very sweet because our bodies okay. are craving salt just like they would be craving that first glass of water tastes amazing. Mm -hmm. The 13th glass of water makes you sick. And so somewhere mm -hmm. between those, your body realizes, hey, and, and as we get better about listening to our body's cravings and noticing, wow, I, am, I feel like I'm drained. My adrenals feel shot. I've had too much caffeine. You know, what we can crave is water and salt. When we think we're craving a big soda or we think we're craving something else. So I think as we get better about listening to our cravings, we can dial in how we feel when we're getting the right amount of electrolytes. Okay. Wow. And you know, everybody that goes, just go back to everybody's individual, you know? So if you are a sports person and you are, you know, you may need some more, but I never thought about putting it on my counter. I did have someone tell me um, that based off of what their mineral content was, how much salt they had to get in throughout the day, they would measure it out and put it in this little jar and their jar had to be empty by the end of the day because we actually, a lot of people need more salt than they think they do, which is just, you know, a very good point to bring. So there's a couple of good books. Yeah. Um, if this has been interesting, there's a, a fun book. It's called Salt, A World History. It goes over the, the history of salt in general. Very fascinating book. Another one is Salt, Your Way to Health, written by an MD, uh, David Brownstein. And there's another one um, by Dr. James D. Nicolantonio about the importance of salt. And, and so these would just be some other additional reading that your, that your audience might find enjoyable. Yeah, I appreciate that. And you guys can also just go to Redmond's online. And I also see Redmond's in my grocery store sometimes, the sea salt. And you can use the code LEAH15 to save 15%. Thank you so much for hopping on. Thanks for having me, Leah. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode of Balancing Hormones Naturally. If you found this helpful, I would love for you to share it with a friend and post it on your stories and tag Balancing Hormones Naturally podcast so we can get this message out. You can find me on Instagram at Leah underscore B-R-U-E-G and I would absolutely love to hear from you.